Thank you for listening to the Abundant Life Sermon Podcast. Abundant Life is based out of Lee Summit, Missouri and has campuses throughout the Kansas City metro area and online. We want to see your life changed by Jesus. For more information about Abundant Life or for locations and service times, visit livingproof.co. Thanks for listening. Well, church, good morning. We are beginning a brand new series today entitled Scars. You know, we all have scars. Every single one of us have scars, both visible and invisible, scars that can be seen. But some scars you can't see, some scars you only know about, nobody else knows about because they are the unseen scars. And I shared actually a, a few months ago that I was uh, careless in the woods recently as I was cutting firewood with my chainsaw and I actually shared several months ago with our church, this happened earlier this year. I actually had my chainsaw and I was careless just for a moment and I actually cut my knee. It was bloody, it was ugly, and it hurt temporarily. And this is what that now looks like today. That's right. I've lost all my modeling contracts. I'm no longer a leg model. I've lost all my modeling contracts for legs, but you can see I now have a scarred up knee. What is a scar? A scar is a wound that has been healed. And I want you to know that we're all going to carry lots and lots of scars in the course of our life, both scars that you can see and scars that you can't see, scars that have deeply, deeply affected your soul personally, maybe you emotionally. There's scars that are really real. We've been wounded inwardly, just like we've been wounded outwardly. But I want you to see what God wants to do through the scars that we carry. We will all be wounded and bruised and bloodied sometimes through the course of life. But God has a purpose in the pain. And that's what this series is gonna be about, a short series on suffering. And I want you to begin to have a real theology of suffering, what God wants to do through your suffering, uh, what God wants to do because of your suffering, and why God would even allow suffering. And I wanna begin this morning in Romans chapter eight. chapter 8 is really a great chapter to understand what God is doing in the scope of all human suffering, not just all human suffering, but your suffering. And I want to begin by sharing a promise with you that there is a prize on the other side of the pain of this life. This is what the Apostle Paul said, a man that was very acquainted with suffering. He said these words, Romans 8 and verse 18, for I consider that the suffering of this present time is not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. Listen, we live at a time in modern Christianity where people are sometimes shocked and surprised to find out that God allows his children to suffer. But the reality is we shouldn't be surprised when we suffer. Eventually suffering comes for all men and all women. No one gets to be the exception. No one is ever the exemption. We live in a world that is cursed by sin, a sin-cursed creation. And so Paul makes it clear that suffering should in some way be an expectation. He doesn't say if you suffer, it's rather when you suffer. He says there's a promise in the suffering that it cannot compare to the glory that awaits us 
on the other side. And the implication is the degree you suffer now and do it faithfully, you're going to be glorified by our God eternally. Now, let's just be honest. A lot of suffering is because it's self-inflicted, kind of like uh, the scar I now carry on my knee. It was a self-inflicted wound. And sometimes we carry those scars through our own sin or sometimes are just our own bad decisions. Uh, A lot of our pain in life is self-inflicted pain, but what we're gonna learn is that all suffering is because of sin. What is the origin of all suffering? The origin of suffering is human sin, either sin committed by us or sin committed against us or perhaps even Adam's sin, what theologians call original sin. And that is why in the end, all of us will suffer because all of us live in a world of sin. The question is, what does God want to do through you and in you in those seasons of suffering? Look at what it says in Romans 8, 28. Here's another promise as we get going in this brand new series on suffering. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God to those who are called according to his purpose. Now remember what Paul said in verse 18, that he considers the suffering of this present time, it can't even compare, it's not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us. So what on earth could he be talking about when he says all things work together for good? What good comes out of suffering? Paul says the future glory that God is going to glorify us eternally. And it cannot compare to this present suffering. You see, God is working together for good, even in the all things. You say, Phil, what possibly could be good? If you knew what I've been through this year, I don't see anything good. I mean, my spouse walked out in spite of my best effort to save my marriage. What could possibly be good? I had to bury my best friend this year. I had to say goodbye to my mother. I went to the funeral of my father. What could possibly be good? And I want you to see that in the moments of suffering, listen, the time not to start quoting Bible verses in the middle of somebody's pain. Like sometimes the best thing you can do when somebody is truly suffering and going through a time of real loss or hardship or heartache is honestly just to be there. And I know that because the first thing sometimes we want to do is start to try to comfort with Bible verses and comfort people with the promises of God. Well, you know, all things work together for good for those that love God, for those that are called to going to his purpose. I'm just saying that's true. uh, But when you show up to the ER to comfort someone that's just lost a child, that's not the time. Sometimes the best thing you can do to comfort them is just silently sit with them. Just let them know you're there for them. This will come later, and this is still true. I want you to understand that whatever pain you're going through in any season of life, God is promising to redeem it for good in some way, even those things that are so, so very bad. Here's another promise as we get going. I want you to see what Paul says about suffering. Romans 8, 35, who shall shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are killed all day long. Uh, We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. Have you ever thought like that in life, felt like that in life? God, I feel like a sheep going to slaughter. Nothing is going right. 
This is what the Apostle Paul is saying. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus for all the headaches and the heartaches and the heartbreaks and the hardships and every single problem and pressure and all the pain of life. He says this, and all these things were more than conquerors through him who loved us. And this is the promise that we're gonna learn in the series, the series on suffering. At a time when we have this false theology and this distorted reality of, of our expectations we should have as Christians, like if God really loves me, I should never have to suffer. And if I have enough faith, God will always heal me. And all these things and all these cliches that we've heard over and over again in modern Christianity that simply are not true. What God wants us to understand is that in all these things, we're more than conquerors through him who loves us. That's your true identity. Jesus said in John 16, in this world, you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer for I've overcome the world. That means if you're in Christ, no matter what you suffer, you can be an overcomer. And we like to tell stories at Abundant Life, real stories of real people in whom Jesus has changed their life. I want today to begin this series with telling a story from her own mouth, the story of Debbie Stiegler. Debbie Stiegler is a dear friend personally to Krista and me. But not only is she a dear friend personally, she is a very, very valued member of our staff. As a matter of fact, she's a member of our executive staff. She is our executive director over ministries. Debbie is uh, one of our executive team members that oversees a lot of responsibility in our ministry at Abundant Life. She is one of the most effective leaders I know. But when I met Debbie for the first time, it was 2014, and at the time, we hadn't built our main uh, auditorium yet here in Lee Summit Campus, and uh, we were still in our old building, and at the time, we'd saturated all of our seats and all of our space, and we had like eight services in three different locations on a Sunday. One of them was on a 4.30 on Sunday afternoons, and we started a 4.30 afternoon service on Sundays to try to alleviate some seating on Sunday morning. And I look out that afternoon, and I see a lady I knew I'd never seen before, I'd never met, and it was Debbie Stiegler. And I walked up to Debbie as I'm greeting people and meeting people and we meet for the first time and like so many people that have come to Abundant Life for the first time, I immediately realized uh, this young lady is broken and I don't know what's going on in her life but clearly she's in a season of suffering. And I could not have imagined or fathomed that day in 2014 when I met Debbie for the first time what God was gonna do in her and through her. And God was gonna use her story of suffering to tell a great redemptive story. This is what God does. Genesis chapter 50, what the world means for evil God means for good. And I want you to hear her story today. As she comes right now to this platform, I wanna tell you a little bit about Debbie. She has written a book about her story. It's gonna be a book that God is gonna use widely to encourage every person going through a season of suffering. It's entitled Beyond Survival. You can get it at debbiestiegler.com. I actually have written an extensive forward for Debbie in this book, answering lots and lots of questions that people have about suffering. Like if God is so good and God loves me so much, why does he allow me to suffer? 
so deeply. The number one question that people ask, we answer in this book together. Debbie answers in her story personally that you're about to hear. And I answer in her book. And I'll be back next week to answer that very question from Romans chapter eight. Right now, I want you to give a warm, abundant life welcome to a dear friend to many of us here and one of the key leaders at our church, Debbie Stiegler, to tell her story. Thank you, thank you. So thankful for Pastor Phil, thankful for that introduction, thankful that we get to start the SCAR series, how to navigate loss and suffering in our lives. So I pray it's a blessing to you. I appreciate his introduction. I do remember that service, 4.30 service in 2014, and it's true, I was a mess. In fact, my kids said I was a hot mess. And um, I had just come through 14 months of kind of isolation and heartbreak. I was trying to heal from the ultimate betrayal and it had been a long 14 months. I had three goals for about that year and a half. One, every day, get out of bed, try to keep your job, and do the best that you can with your kids because we were going through the separation of our family through divorce. I was devastated. They were heartbroken, and um, I wasn't going to church at that time. I was just trying to survive. And uh, at that time, uh, it's not that I didn't want to go to church, I couldn't go to church. I don't know if you've ever been there. But just to be in the presence of God, uh, I was just a mess. When I came into a house of God, I just cried. I was an idiot. And so I found my church just walking around Longview Lake, taking long, long walks along View High Drive and hearing the chapel at the old Longview Chapel. Uh, the bells rang every Sunday morning. It was a beautiful time, just me and God in creation. And honestly, it was one of the best spiritual times of my life. My world was rocked, and it was my kids who told me, you really need to get out of the house. You really need to get a life, Mom. And so I began a journey. The first thing I did when I kind of came out of that time of isolation was to find a church home. Abundant Life was the 20th church that I came to. I don't know how long you've been looking for a good church, but I went to 20 churches. This was my 20th church, and there wasn't a 21st. So after I heard Pastor Phil preach two times at that 4.30 service, I said, yeah, this is the church for me. And this was a church that, at that time, they had what was called, um, it wasn't the dinner with the pastors, it was pastor's life group. And so you sat in a room with 70 or 80 people, and everyone goes around, passes the mic, and says, what is it that you love about abundant life? And so people were saying, it's the worship, it's the preaching, it's the student memory, it's ministry, it's journey kids. So it got to me, and I was a little jaded, and so I said, well, you know, I'm here because I think you're a man of God. I don't know, but I think you are. I think you might actually live what you preach. I'm not sure I can trust you, but I think I'll give it a try. And so that was my introduction to Pastor Phil. It was kind of an odd, odd conversation. But afterwards, precious Krista Hopper, she comes up to me, she takes me by the shoulders, and she says to me, she said, um, I don't know what you've gone through in your life, but she says, I need to tell you, you can trust him. And he really does live what he preaches because he's my husband and you can trust him. And I'll tell you what, for someone who was new to a church and was very questioning about people, 
I love Krista Hopper, and I'm so, so thankful that she took me by the shoulders and said that to me that day. So this became my unbecoming church. I kind of unbecame things here so that I could become what God wants me to be today, and you've probably gone through that in your life as well. I unbecame a wife. I unbecame a pastor's wife. I I became a single mom. In fact, I embraced my singleness here. I unbecame a victim, and I became a victor here at this church. And I'm so thankful. If you knew my life before 2013, you'd say I was a pretty blessed person. I had an amazing family, a blessed marriage. I'd been in ministry for over 25 years, and we'd seen thousands of lives changed by Jesus. The truth is, I really hadn't experienced much loss, pain, or suffering. I was one of the fortunate ones. I'd had a good life for 46 years. So it's kind of surreal when Pastor Phil introduces me as an author, never intended to be one, never had a desire to write a book or become an author. But here's what happened. There was a specific moment in time when I could tell God was not going to change my circumstances. And I had a conversation with him that went something like this. If you are going to allow me to go through this heartbreak, if you're going to allow this to happen in my life, then I want you to teach me everything you need to teach me because I don't want to go around this mountain again. It hurts too bad that if there's not purpose in my pain, I don't understand why I'm going through it. So I became a note taker during a time of suffering. And uh, that those notes that I took, took the form of sticky notes. So some of you might journal. Someone told me last service they did note cards. I did sticky notes. And so I would go through packs of these. And every time that I saw a truth in God's word as I'm studying it, I would write it on a sticky note and I would put it on the mirror in my bathroom. And then I'd hear another truth, maybe in a song or on a podcast or in a sermon, and I would put it here. And I'm telling you what, before long, my whole mirror in my bathroom was filled with nothing but sticky notes. There was like an eight by eight little square right in the middle that didn't have any sticky notes around it. And that's how I put my makeup on and did my hair in the morning. So then that was full. So then I go to the second vanity, the whole mirror filled with sticky notes, truths that God had spoken to me. They were ways that I was able to replace the tormenting and the negative thoughts were in my life with positive things, scripture, truths that God was teaching me, promises that I could claim. And so it didn't take long that my mirrors were full. And so then I basically wallpapered the walls of my bathroom. So from floor to ceiling, nothing but sticky notes. But I'm telling you what, it was life to me because those were God's words. And it didn't matter if I was drying my hair, changing my clothes, or cleaning the bathroom. I read the sticky notes out loud because of the power that's in the truth of God's word. So for me, I'm not an author. I was simply a girl that took some sticky notes. And one day, I put all those sticky notes, hundreds of them, in 11 different piles on my floor. And I sat down there with all the sticky notes. And that turned into, over the course of eight years, 11 different chapters, 160 pages, and 33,000 words. That's the book that Pastor Phil just alluded to. So I'm not really an author. It's called Beyond Survival, Finding Hope, Healing, and Happiness After Any Setback, because here's the deal— surviving isn't enough. And so we don't, we're not selling them here at church, but if you want to go to the website, you can pick up one. The best part of the book is that um, Pastor Phil wrote that afterward. And he answers hard questions, and they're, they're hard questions, and God doesn't mind that we ask him hard questions when we go through difficult times, because you know what? He knows our thoughts even before we think them, so he knows what we're thinking. Pastor Phil answers questions like, if you love me so much, why are you allowing me to go through this? Or here's a good one that I had. 
If God won't violate someone else's will, then what difference is my praying making in their life if you're not gonna change their will? Or if God knows in his foreknowledge that the baby's gonna die, the house will burn down, the accident's gonna happen, if God knows that, is my praying making any difference at all? He answers, he answers the question in this book, where is God? Where is God sometimes when he seems so silent and he seems so, so far away? So I'm, I'm thankful for Pastor Phil tackling those questions from a theological perspective that it helps, it helps a great deal. And this series hopefully is going to be a, um, a benefit and healing for you. If you've gone through any kind of scars, we're hoping in the course of the next five weeks that you'll learn, as I have, how to navigate your way through loss and different scars that you've gone through. Pastor shared the disgusting picture of his knee. Amen? <laughs> it's disgusting. But What's worse than a scarred up knee is a scarred heart or a wounded soul. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Listen, I know I haven't gone through anything in my life compared to some of you. Some of you have experienced the loss of a child, experienced the loss of a grandchild through suicide. You've experienced so much more than what, I've, what I'm going through. Yes, I went through a divorce, but you know what? Lots of people do. It seems like in the last few years that I went, you know, I had 46 years of good years, and then it's like I'm playing catch up on so many years that everything went right, and now it's, it's a lot of pain. It seemed to be a lot of suffering. But we're quick to be reminded of the scripture that Pastor Phil shared with us already and found in Romans 8:18 that the sufferings of this present life are not worthy to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So think about yourself. What are losses that you've experienced in your lifetime? Maybe they ha happened when you were a child. Maybe they happened decades ago. Maybe you're going through loss right now. Loss is simply when you've had someone or something that's been taken from you. For me, I can go all the way back to high school. And I remember it wasn't a tangible or a physical loss. It was the loss of my self-worth. I had words spoken over me, and I allowed them to take root inside of my spirit. And I struggled with self-worth and value and having a very much an inferiority complex. Then it comes to physical, more tangible losses. In the last few years, I lost my dad through Parkinson's. I watched the slow fade of my mom's mind over the last many years through Alzheimer's and dementia. I experienced the sudden and tragic loss of my brother. Um, here's one. I experienced the loss of some dreams that I had for my daughter when during her senior year in high school, she sat down on the stairs in our living room and she shared with me that she was pregnant. Um, I've, ex I've lost a job, just different losses in our life. Even mature believers though, can go through times of struggle and loss and question God and wonder, where was God in the middle of all of that mess? Where were you, God? And what I'm saying to you today is it's okay to question him as long as we get to the beyond survival point and that's when we're thriving. Let me share with you just an example real quick of when my faith got really real for me two years ago. I love my brother. And my brother had went in to have just a routine surgery Things went wrong in the middle of the night. He thought he was going home the next day, but instead, in the middle of the night, his blood pressure dips. He's in ICU. Um, six o'clock in the morning, he codes two times for two minutes each time, ends up on full life support. 
by the time I get called that next afternoon, I was his closest living relative, my sister and I went to KU Medical Center. We walk in, it's a mess. It's machines, tubes, beeping, all kinds of doctors, all kinds of nurses, things don't look good. But you know what? I'm a Christian. I'm a believer. I know the word of God. So what do we do? I started praying, started, started proclaiming, Dale, we are gonna get out of this hospital together. I'm not gonna leave your side until God heals your body and we walk out of this hospital together. So for eight days and nights, I stayed there at the hospital by his side. I never left his side. I was rebuking the devil, I was claiming scripture. I was playing praise music inside of there to create an atmosphere. I was canceling the doctor's reports and standing on the scripture. I thought I would done everything. I confessed sin, like is sin keeping my prayers from being answered here? I was doing everything that I could. And there was a war that was raging inside of my spirit, my soul, and my body. I was trying to keep the faith. But then on the eighth day, the doctor comes in, wakes me up, and has that conversation that you never, ever want to have with a doctor. And you know you've come to the end of the road. And so when the doctor left, I pulled my chair up to my brother, and I told him, you're going to live. You are not going to die. And we're going to walk out of this hospital together. And then I laid my head on his shoulder, and I sat there for a couple of hours, and I wrestled with God because I didn't want my brother to die. I wanted him to live. I wanted to grow old with my brother. I wanted my brother to see my kids get married, have children of their own. And I told God, I don't want your will because your will scares me. And I'm afraid your will is going to take him to heaven today. And I don't want that. I want my will. And I sat in that for a couple of hours. And now, I'm a good Christian. You don't talk to God like that. But it was real. And the thing is, God knew that's the way I felt. And I wrestled with that. You sit in those moments and you think, Am I supposed to bind the devil, believe for healing, or surrender to God's will? What do you do? And so I did them all. And then finally, after much trepidation, I said to God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my brother's life. Because if an all-seeing, all-knowing, all-powerful God is not one that we can put our trust in, then who can we? And so I said, I surrender. I surrender to your will. I surrender to your way and I trust you with our lives. Did it go the way I wanted it to go? No. Nope. And when you have to, in the life of someone who's on full life support, that's a scar I'll probably never get over. But this is real, and this is the impact of scars, and that's why we have to learn how to navigate our way through troubles, through trials, through loss in our life. Amen? Okay, that was heavy. We're moving on. <laughs> this is the point in our message. If you've been here at Abundant Life for any time, it's time for a good KU story about a football game or something like that, right? This is time at Abundant Life that we need a sports analogy or a good cop story, to say the least, right? But um, here's the deal. Pastor Phil's in Michigan preaching, so he's not going to do that today. Chad's here, but he doesn't have the microphone. I do. 
So ladies, I know, for years and years, you've probably been waiting for that sermon illustration about how baking a cake is like prayer, or how (laughs) folding the laundry is a lot like discipleship, or how changing 20 diapers in a day helps you with grace and with mercy. So anyhow, girls are doing this today. I'm going to show you a craft, a piece of pottery. So this is going to be my illustration for the day. And this, if you will, is probably a lot like our lives before brokenness, right? You look decent. You look okay. It just, everything is together. The vase has a purpose in life. It's fulfilling its person, purpose. There doesn't seem to be any foreseeable damage that's here on, on the piece of pottery, right? This is it. But here's what happens. In an instant, like that, your life can change. You seem to have it all together, and then all at once, you're in a thousand million pieces. Everything changes. Your life will never, ever be the same. Now, I know what scarred me, and I know what broke me, but what broke you? When you look at something like this, you think, how in the world do you begin to pick up the pieces and start over? And when others look at you, they want to just discard you because now you're damaged. That shattering loss, you've lost your purpose. You're not at all what God created you to be. And basically, you're in a mess. Um, To many people, broken pottery is supposed to be disposed of because its potential has been forfeited because of the loss that it suffered. And so you're useless. You feel damaged. You feel like you're not worthy of anything. But a couple years ago, Pastor Phil did a sermon series and he taught us about kintsugi art. It's a Japanese art form that dates back to the 15th century. And basically you take lacquer and gold and silver powder You get the pottery, you put it together, and you put this lacquer on it, and you give pottery a second chance at life. It looks something like this. So it catches your eye because its beauty is found in the imperfections of all those broken pieces. And with kintsugi art, instead of hiding the breaks, acting like they weren't even there, it it enhances them to prove that there's purpose in the brokenness. So the scars here and in your life are emphasized to tell the story. They're not hidden, denying the reality of the brokenness. And to me, this is a picture of a survivor. Some people will consider you broken and worthless and damaged when you're a million pieces. But one of the main points I feel called of God to tell people is this. You are worthy. It doesn't matter how you find yourself today, what you've gone through in your life. You are worthy of everything that God has to offer you through his word. You are worthy of love and belonging. You're worthy of forgiveness. You're you're worthy of a do-over and a second chance. You're worthy of dignity and belonging. There is nothing that can keep you from obtaining the promises of God that are in his word because you are worthy of them. One of my favorite sticky notes is a Brene Brown quote, and it says simply this, there is no prerequisite to worthiness. 
period. So don't let anyone tell you that you are not worthy of anything God has to offer you because of what you've gone through. Amen? Isaiah 64 verse 8 says this. It says, we are the clay and you are potter and we are the work of your hand. And so it's God who takes the broken pieces and puts us back together again. Now the survivors, you have to do the hard work of picking up those pieces. And here's the deal. Once you do and God remakes you into something different, you don't look like you did before. It looks different. But with love and care and time, the potter puts us back together. And little by little, you as a survivor are restored. I get it, the breaking hurts. But the potter can repair anything in your life as long as you remain on the wheel. The potter, he'll mold you, he'll make you. And here's the deal, it feels like pressure It's not fun when you're sitting on the potter's wheel and the temptation is great to jump off the potter's wheel. But we have to stay on and let God have his complete work in us. The potter can create a thing of beauty that has only been enhanced by brokenness, not destroyed because of it, all right? So we wanna get to the place in our healing that we can be made well. And for this, I I wanna take us to the scripture and found in John 5. And let's read this real quick. It's a passage of scripture about the pool of Bethesda. I'm sure you're familiar with it. Here's what it says. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool, which is called in Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of sick people, blind, lame, paralyzed, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain time into the pool and he stirred up the water. Then whoever stepped in first after the stirring of the water was made well of whatever disease he had. Now a certain man was there who had an infirmity for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already had been in that condition a long time, he said to him, do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him and said, sir, I have no man to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm coming, another steps down before me. And Jesus said to him, rise, take up your bed and walk. And immediately the man was made well, took up his bed and walked. Now we see here, Let me just summarize real quick. Five porches for five different reasons. There were the lame, the paralyzed, the sick, the withered, and the the blind. There were no hospitals in those days like there would be today with a blind wing or a sick unit or a a sick floor. These people weren't well enough to live with everyone else and they they were in a holding pattern in their pool It's a time marked by no progress and no change. I lived that way for 14 months. I don't know about you, but I was stuck. I just said that I was stuck. I was in survival mode. So imagine the people in the pool. You would see yourself reflected in everyone that was around you because they looked like you. You could hear everything that was going on in the city, but you knew that had not been a part of your life, at least for this lame man for 38 years. How agonizing that must have been. So picture this though. All the blind people are together on a porch. All the lame people are together on a porch. All the paralyzed on another porch. So in one way, I guess it's helpful because at least they understood each other. But then on the other hand, it's hard to surround yourself with blindness and expect to see. It's hard to be closed in with people that are lame and envision yourself walking or to only be around paralyzed people and imagine moving. 
Jesus said to the lame man, do you want to be made well? It seems like a foolish question. Of course he wanted to be made well. But there had to have been something, something in that man's behavior that made Jesus question, do you even want to be made well? He was, he was what, doing what he had to do, and that was survive. He just laid there and tried to survive. And here's the deal. Jesus wanted more for that lame man. Jesus wanted more for him. Jesus wants more for me. Whatever state you find yourself in today, do you know that Jesus wants more for you? He can see you in a state of just surviving, just barely getting by, and he says, I've got so much more for you if you would just ask. That lame man had been there for 38 years. Think about how long that is. I can birth a child, raise the child, and have grandchildren inside of 38 years. That's 13,000 days. The Bible says in John 5 that the angels would come once a year and they would trouble the waters. And whoever got, got close to the angel then was be, would be made well of whatever disease they found themselves in. So here's the deal. The layman had at least 360 days to position himself for his miracle, to move toward his breakthrough. But he started giving excuses. He said, there's no one here to put me in. So Jesus was asking him, do you want to be made well? Because Jesus will not violate our will. If we're comfortable with the status quo or barely getting by, Jesus will let us do that. He didn't want to impose his will on this man. Instead, the man was looking for excuses. And too often, we give excuses to justify our condition. But we have to stop and we have to do what it takes to get from survival mode to overcoming mode. To the lame man, Jesus said, do you wanna be made well? And then he said, rise, take up your bed, and walk. He said, do what you think you're not capable of. Do something, take a step of faith towards your miracle. And he told him to walk. He said, no more victim mentality, no more blaming others, no more excuses. Jesus didn't tell him where to walk, he just said walk. And then he'd give him his next instruction because God doesn't give us a map, he gives us a compass. He doesn't tell us always what our ultimate destination is, he just tells us the direction that we're to go. Because God is in control, but he doesn't always take control. So scars, they tell the survival stories of all of us. And we have to come to a point in our life, we have to transform our thinking from a survivor mentality to a thriving, overcoming, more than a conqueror kind of mentality. Here's the deal. You survived the abuse. Whatever it is that you've gone through, here's the deal. You survived it. You survived the cancer. You survived the child dying. You thought it would kill you, but it didn't. And the fact that you're still here is proof that God's purpose on your life has not been aborted. God has a purpose for you, and God wants you to accomplish what he's called you to do because you are a survivor and you were created to thrive. So accept the now as my word to you. It does look different, and you'll never get used to saying that you, your child has passed or that you're an ex-con or a former drug addict or a, or a teen mom or a widower. It's hard to say those words. I understand, but we have to come to the point in our life where we own our story. We own it. And when you own your story, then you and Jesus together can finish writing the ending. 
because he's not done with us yet and he has so much more for us. And when you own your story, this is a powerful truth, shame has no power on you. Those that live in shame, it's often because you choose not to own your story because when you do, embarrassment, humiliation, and shame have no power in you. So I urge you to take charge of your life and be in charge of the narrative of your own life. Embrace your journey. You may not have intended to go where you've gone, but you have ended up where God intended for you to be. All of us want a miracle, but we rarely want to position ourselves in the place that we need that miracle. So I hope you, like me, come to the point in your story where you can begin like this, once upon a time, and you tell the story of your survival. You tell the story of your pain or your suffering. A couple of couple of um, recommendations. Don't spend a lot of time talking about your villain, because you know what? They probably stole too much of your life already. Tell about the hero of your story. For me, it's my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's Christ in you, the hope of glory. Tell people about that. Tell them about your growth. Tell them about the moment your story changed. Get to the point where God gets the glory and others get the good, because you're more than a survivor. This is not the end of your story. You and Jesus will finish the final chapters of your life, and I just ask that you make sure your story is a book worth reading. Revelations 12:11 says to us that they overcame by the blood of the Lamb, the word of their testimony, and they loved not their life even unto the death. There has to come a time in your life where you draw a line in the sand, as it were, and you tell the devil that he is trespassing on God's property. I am the property of God, and the enemy has no place in my life. I remember a time in my life when I went through a very difficult time, and it was as if the devil and I were looking square at one another in the eye. And I told him, I said, you never should have messed with me. I said, you never should have messed with my family. Because you have, I'm going to make you pay the rest of my life. So every time I tell my story and others are healed and others are encouraged and others get hope, the devil loses again, again, and again. And this morning, I thought about this earlier. I'm talking to thousands of people this morning because God has given me this opportunity. You know what? the devil just lost again, and in a big way. And I encourage you to do the same thing. Don't take it lying down. Have the faith to believe for something more because God has something more for you. I bore my scars this morning. You're gonna bear your scars as you learn to embrace your story. Jesus bore his scars for us. So admit that you have wounds, it's okay, we all do. But ultimately, we need to take up our bed and we need to walk like Jesus told us to. In Psalms 34, 18, it says, the Lord is near to the broken heart. I want to read one last scripture before I close. I love this passage of scripture. It kind of puts everything into perspective. It's found in 2 Corinthians 4. Let's read this. It says, we're pressed on every side by troubles, but we are not crushed and broken. We are perplexed because we don't know why things happen as they do, but we don't give up and quit. We are hunted down. But God never abandons us. We get knocked down, 
but we get back up again and we keep going. These sufferings of ours are for your benefit. And the more of you who are one to Christ, the more there are to thank him for his great kindness and the more the Lord is glorified. So that's why we never give up. Though our bodies are dying and our inner strength in the Lord is growing every day. These troubles and sufferings of ours are after all, they're quite small and they won't last long. Yet this short time of distress will result in God's richest blessings upon us forever and ever. I wanna take a moment and I want to, I want to pray with you. Can you bow your heads, close your eyes just real quick? If you have a wound, a scar, something that you're suffering through or have suffered with in your past, would you just, if nothing else, just encourage me and raise your hand up just real quick and put it back down if you acknowledge your need for divine intervention. Hands up and right back down. So many of you. Father, I pray for each of these. God, if there's those in this room that have gone through times of pain and suffering in their past, and they've not found purpose, maybe they've chosen a life of bitterness, unforgiveness instead, would you help them today to forgive, to move forward? Would you help them today to find purpose in their pain? to own their story, to allow you and them to write the final chapters, to make an amazing story of their life. And God, for others that are in the middle of pain and loss and suffering, Father, would you be the healer in their life as you were the lame man? And as you tell them to rise and to take up their bed and to walk, would you show them where to go and what to do? Would you do what only you can do, Holy Spirit? And that is heal from the inside out. Take a wound that's bleeding and stop the bleeding. Begin to scab it. Leave a scar to keep us mindful of what you did in our life. Father, I ask that um, your will would just be done in each and every one of our hearts today as we're transparent before you. As we ask those hard questions even of where, where were you during this time, God? I know you can handle them. And I know as we stand before you that you'll be able to share with us the purpose for everything we've gone through in this life. So we commit these people to you. We thank you for this in Jesus' name. Thank you for allowing me to share my scars this morning. Give God a praise. Thanks for joining us today. If you enjoyed today's podcast, be sure and subscribe and share with a friend. We hope today's message inspired and challenged you. Let's go be living proof of a loving God to a watching world. For more information about Abundant Life, visit livingproof.co or follow us on social media at Abundant Life LS.